Hello, Internet. I'm Phil. I'm Fane. And joining us from Kansas City is our good friend, Rudy Pena. Hey, what's up, everybody? Yeah, so today we're going to do the review of Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Uh, yeah, today we are talking about Star Wars Rogue One. We will be talking about spoilers, everybody. So if you have not seen the film, hit pause right now, run to your local movie theater, watch it, have your brain exploded with joy, and come back and listen with us while we talk spoilers. So with all this being said, let's just go ahead and jump right into our movie. And the movie begins with not a crawl. And I, I got to admit, being a casual Star Wars fan, to sit down and watch a Star Wars movie and not get a crawl kind of left me feeling a little sad. Okay, I can probably explain that a bit. Traditional Star Wars films, part of the main saga, always open with a crawl of words going off in the distance to give a little summary of what happened before and setting up the movie, a bit of forced exposition. This one... They're trying something new. It's an anthology film. It's not part of the main saga Skywalker story. They wanted to differentiate that by not having a crawl. They even had that musical sting right at the beginning to say, okay, we're getting started. There's no crawl. No crawl. That's sad. I, uh, I personally missed the crawl. Um, in all honesty, uh, I think because there's a lot of people and a lot of fans out there, even people who are you know pretty big Star Wars fans, that were somewhat unsure of where this film fits into the timeline of the other movies. Um, now, the rabid Star Wars fan, which all three of us are, we, we've been waiting for this film for a long time, and it's not something that, <clears throat> excuse me, it's not something that, you know, was lost on us, where it fits in the timeline. However, you know, somebody who has maybe only seen The Force Awakens may be confused with, uh, maybe confusing Felicity Jones, the lead uh, actress in Rogue One, with Daisy Ridley, the lead actress in The Force Awakens. So I think it was a huge missed opportunity um, to have a crawl that explains whereabouts this fits in the timeline. Now, how they would say that, what the, the words they would use, I'm not really sure personally, but, um, you know, I really just think that that's a, that's a huge opportunity that was missed out. All that being said, it didn't detract from my enjoyment of the film. I just think that uh, that's something that would have been cool to see. I guess I'm fine either way. Um, th there's a lot of Marvel movies, and none of those start with saying, okay, Thor 2 is before Iron Man 3 or whatever. I think it's just speaking on, to tr speaking on to tradition, plus we're getting a prequel of a movie that's 40 years old. So there, 1977, I, yeah. I can understand where you're coming from with that, Rudy. But what I kind of picked up with the lack of a crawl, we begin with a flashback. We don't begin right in the main story. We start couple of years back, a decade back, or however much time, but some mm -hmm. amount of time back where our main uh, actress is actually, is actually a child. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about what's going on in this flashback. What stood out to you within this flashback, Phil? Um, see, I think it did a very good job explaining the conflicting mindsets at the beginning. You have the villain, Krennic, come down and talk to um, the father of the he hero, Galen Erso, who's setting up, hey, there's this weapon we want you to work on. Galen doesn't want to work on it. Krennic wants him to work on it. And we find out later that that's, that's what they're going to... That's the point of the movie. They're stealing the plans for this weapon 
So this kind of helps lay all of that foundation out very simply. And that it shows that the Empire's evil. They kill Jin's mother and take her father and all of that. Well, I think uh, I think the bold move um, that well the thing that stood out to me in the introduction is the bold move of having uh, Orson Krennic be somebody as as, as evil that as, that he's trying to kill um, Galen Erso's not just his wife but his kid too. Um, now I've been reading the book Catalyst, and the book Catalyst is <laughs> it's a prequel to to Rogue One basically, and it kind of sets up. Uh, the life of Galen Erso and his uh, friendship um, slash, you know, relationship with Orson Krennic. Um, him and Orson Krennic, they knew each other when they were, you know, technically like, like around high school age. And at this time, you know, they're old friends. And the fact that Orson Krennic is willing to come in here and, you know, take out Erso's wife and, and even his Leroy. daughter... I mean, that, that says a lot about our villain for the film, and that really sets up a high standard that, to be honest, uh, can really only be topped by Darth Vader, which we'll talk about later on. But um, I think it was really, really good. I like the opening. I like the way, um, you know, they had this, the uh, stormtroopers come down. Was it the stormtroopers? Because they were black. Or those are, like those are death those troopers. Death troopers, they're a special elite force that helps... We really only see them follow Krennic around, so I don't know quite where they go in the ranking, but... They're the Jay-Z stormtroopers, Rudy. It was really cool to see them, because those guys look, like, terribly menacing. Mm -hmm. So I think, um, you know, having that opening scene, it just really sets the stakes high at the beginning of the film. And if you set the stakes high at the beginning of the film, then that just emotionally uh, gets, you, that gets you more emotionally involved uh, with these characters. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, we're going to be on board with Jin Erso, but, I mean, setting the stake that high at the beginning really sets you, uh, really gets you in line uh, and on Galen Erso's side, her father. So later on in the film, you know, you're really, really in interested in, and, um, and emotionally invested. So I thought it was a really good opening mm -hmm. scene. And it's also our first look at Saw Gira, who will appear later in the movie. Yeah, and what yeah. I really... I like that they had this plan. They had this plan like Galen's like, hey, guys, I have a plan. I'm a really smart guy. Follow my plan. You guys will stay alive. Everything's going to be good. <laughs> They're going to come back for me, so go to the safe place with your go Uncle Saw. Go to the safe, and it'll be okay. <laughs> nope, everybody comes back. I have a gun now. I'm going to take down these three highly Dang it, Lyra. <sighs> Dang you it. need to go raise, raise our daughter. Oh, now, now my wife's dead. Okay. I hope my child makes it to her safe hole and just hides in there, and hopefully Saul comes and gets her. Cause she's just gonna sit in there until someone gets her. Mm -hmm. I wonder what type of snack she had. So yeah, great opening scene. Great <laughs> opening scene. So what happens now is now we go flash forward into the present time, the movie. Um, and when we flash forward, we get to meet our leads. Mm -hmm. uh, being Jen Urso is in an Imperial prisoner of war camp, and she's rescued by Captain Cassian Andor and his droid K two S O. And some other people. Voice and some by other Alan Tudor, that, by the way. Yeah. Sorry, Rudy. No, I said uh, K2SO is voiced by Alan Tudyk. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, he did like the voice of Sonny and iRobot. He was one of the characters in Frozen. I forget which one. And 
He, he's done like voices for a lot of other movies plus he's a really good actor too i've seen him in a few films like um what was that movie like knocked up with seth rogan he, he was in that and well film. and he's known Just for that. being wash in firefly the pilot there we go yeah that's kind of his biggest role absolutely so what do we think about our leads coming into knowing them getting to see jen being rescued, seeing uh, Cassian, getting information for the Rebellion. What do we feel about these characters as we're introduced to our leads of the movie? Well, I mean, uh, Cassian really, really sets himself, set, sets himself apart as somebody that you really, you kind of want to trust him, but you're not really sure if you trust him throughout the film. I mean, no. Because, I mean, you see him take out that guy at the very beginning, the informant, mm -hmm. and it's like, wow, you know, it really lets you know that, hey, this uh, this rebellion is something to where you know people are going to have to make hard decisions. They're going to have to make hard choices. Um, they're going to have to do get their fingers dirty, get their hands dirty. You know. And he's willing to make um, those is, tough calls when it needs to happen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and he's willing to do that. Um, and I think that really sets him up as somebody who, um, you know, can I don't want to say lead this rebellion, but uh, lead this mission. And uh, and Jen Urso also is somebody you know who can lead the mission, but it, it, he's just a he's a good standout. Diego Luna did a great job as Cassian, Cassian or uh, Cassian Andor. How do you Cassian say Cassian? Cassian Andor. Cassian Andor. There we go. Cassian but, Andor. Yeah. Yep. And so, and then we also have Jen Urso who starts off, like I said, in the prisoner of war camp. When she's rescued, she beats up the rebels that are trying to save her, and it takes the droid going. Hey, genius, you're being rescued for her to get it. And she's dragged, kicking and screaming to the Yavin 4 base. Absolutely. And I, well, I her character strikes me as somebody who's been fighting her whole life, you know? Mm -hmm. So for her, uh, you know, something like that, it's a knee-jerk reaction to, to fight against it. Um, I mean, you know, in the trailers, they had that line, she's like, this is a rebel war, I rebel, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and that's not in the film, which is fine. It was kind of a hokey, hokey line anyway. But her character is somebody that's used to, you know, that that type of life. I mean, she was raised by Saul Guerrero, so, I mean, she's, she's a fighter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Saul, who, if you want to learn more about it, apparently you can watch on Star Wars Rebels. Uh, we don't actually get to see a lot of him in this. He's in Clone Wars, actually, and they're going to actually use him in upcoming Rebels Fantastic. episodes. Stay tuned for our ABC sponsorship. Anywho, what we... It's on Disney XD. I keep forgetting that Disney owns everything. But Disney owns ABC too, so... But what we get into next is that where our characters go, where our leads go to next is to meet the Rebellion. We get to see uh, who's in charge of the Rebellion. We get to kind of see where their next steps are going to be when they're trying to recruit Jin into the cause, into the Rebellion. How are we supposed to feel? What are your guys' mm -hmm. thoughts? What were you thinking as you're seeing this character who tried to fight from the people rescuing her, now being asked to help a cause? Well, I really appreciated that when they got to Yavin 4, which this was all a big callback. At the end of A New Hope, Luke and Leia and Han go to Yavin 4, and that's where the rebel pilots are who take on the Death Star. So you get that callback. You also get a young Mon Mothma, who is the leader of the rebels that we see in Return of the Jedi. And then there's other little nods in there. There's General Dodonna and Bail Organa. Um, but it was just cool that they, they took the time to respect that this is part of the same universe. They didn't just make up a new place for the rebels to be like Dantooine or something. So 
I appreciated all of those callbacks as a Star Wars nerd, getting to see all of the little elements there, the pilots in their old uniforms. Um, Story-wise, I think like you're saying, it shows that Jen's not ready yet to trust this rebellion, but she's kind of being forced to because of her connection to Saul Gira and Galen Erso to, to kind of bring her in. Rudy, thoughts? <clears throat> um, yeah, I mean, like, Jen uh, struck me as somebody that, um, you know, she's obviously rebellious, but kind of like Cassian, I mean, you really don't know what she's going to do next. I mean, uh, I think, and, 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 you know, they go into it later on, but, you know, she's really reluctant until she sees that hologram of her father. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it really, that, that's, a, that's a huge... That's a huge moment for her and a great performance by Felicity Jones because, you know, that really, as her, her as a character, that, that really calls back to, like, the foundation of what she is, you know. She she is rebellious, she's frustrated, all these things, but when her father asks her to, to do something, she's just going to drop everything and, and do it. I think that was a standout, um, something that stood out to me about Jen Erso. Well, and you mentioned the change there. Back on Yavin 4, when the Rebel Alliance asks her about her father, she's like, I sometimes like to think of him as dead. Like, I don't even want to really deal with the reality that he could be alive because he abandoned me. So you see that. Yeah, yeah. It's too, it's, it's too painful to think of uh, what the reality could be mm-hmm. versus, you know, like for her, she has no clue what he is, where he's at, what, what his thoughts are or anything. So for her, she's got to make up her own reality. And oh. that is where... He's better off dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Cassian also has his own. We don't get to see them, but he subtly mentions that he has things in his past that motivate him, that make him uh, push that line between good and evil for a cause that he believes in. So we have these two characters, these very deep, um, dark, motivated characters because they have this troubled past. So it, it it's some weighty stuff on their shoulders. Mm-hmm. So then we're just going to throw a robot in with them as they go off in Star Wars fashion. Hey, we're at a place. we got to go to another place. So jump on a ship and we're going. So now we have our three-man group. So I do want to get your guys' thought. We talked about Alan Tuck's performance uh, as K2SO, right? K2SO, yep. I I want you guys to speak on how you feel about him in the movie. I thought he was a great character. I loved how deadpan he was with everything he was very straightforward congratulations you're being rescued kind of yeah deadpan and serious i don't think it would be a star wars film without some form of droid we already got an r2d2 like character in bb8 now we get kind of a variant on 3po he's also spouting the odds and all the things 3po would do too but not it not as annoying he's 3po more useful yeah uh, he is more useful. He's taller, better looking. Yeah, that's very important. Rudy, what's your looking. thoughts? What's your thoughts on this three-man team? Our new droid. How you feeling about them? Um, well, about K2SO, um, I, I like him. I think he's a cool droid. Now, uh, it's easy. It's easy to you know just consider him the droid that's there for comic relief. But honestly, I really feel like he's a lot more than that. Mm-hmm. I feel like um, his character is actually very, very well fleshed out. I mean, Phil, you alluded to the fact that he's very deadpan. Um, that is both at one point, like, I mean, that's um, that, that's a piece of his character, but also it can be a character flaw. But with this robot, he, I mean, it's 
it's like, like he's his i don't want to say just his voice work but like his character is just written so well mm-hmm. that it's he's charming he's just like super charming and i, I want to say it's alan tudyk's voice but it's not even just the voice it's the writing of this uh character is is just so on point and you know there towards the end of the film he actually you know moves the plot forward he's not just a you know like a plot device Comedy or a comic release, device yeah. he's yeah, he's an important part of yeah, the Yeah, he has ensemble. a whole arc. He goes from being forced to obey orders to, okay, I am going to help these guys out. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and that's, you know, he has an arc. And, and the fact that a droid has an arc is is an amazing thing. Um, you know, the other film, the other Star Wars films, we, you know, the, at least the original trilogy, you know, we're kind of looking through the eyes of R2-D2 and uh, C-3PO. They're kind of carrying us along mm-hmm. through all three films. And I don't want to say that K2SO did that, but I think um, he was there, and a few times it's easy for the audience to connect with him on, you know, some of these things that are going on, you know. Right. Like whenever he's talking to, to Cassian, and he's like, you know, you want to know the odds of us living? <laughs> and he's like, they're not good. Yeah, you know, Cassian just ignores him. Some... He's like, I'm not going to even tell you not to say it. <laughs> Yeah, and it's like that—that's the voice that would be in someone's head if they're getting ready to do that mission. You know, like, mm-hmm. am I going to survive this? So I think it's cool. I think he was a great addition to this film. Absolutely, but that's not where our team ends. This team is actually going to continue to grow because once the team gets to the place that they need to get to, Jetta, Jetta, a whole bunch of shenanigans go down. Okay, Saul's rebels are causing some issues. Uh, you insurgents, have, yeah. You have the insurgents. The Empire's looking for kyber crystals. That very important part of this movie. Um, and <laughs> now we have this big old fight in the middle of the town. Um, I want you guys kind of talk. Did that feel like a cantina scene to you guys at all? Did it feel like its own thing? How do we feel about it? Rudy, you go first because Ru- Phil always gets to go first. <laughs> all right. I thought we had a... Quit yeah. hogging the mic, Phil. <laughs> go ahead, Rudy. What did you think of Jetta? Um, I thought, uh, honestly, I thought that was one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite sections of the film when they were on Jeddah and they're just, they're, they're walking around this area and you know, it kind of feels like, I don't want to say like a cantina bar necessarily. It felt like a cantina mall, if that's the thing, you know, cause you got like all these people walking around you run into, what's the name of the guys that they run into? Ponda Baba and Dr. Evazan. Oh there we go. Yeah, um, they run into those guys, and you know, when I was in the theater, I, w- I got like super excited because I recognized who they were. Literally, nobody else in the theater did, and that's fine. But um, you know, it's a very lived-in world, and I think that's something that was drastically missing from the original prequels, episode one, two, and three. The world didn't feel like it was lived in. It felt like this um, chronic kind of computer world that we're just yeah. I can speak Looking on that. At, Everything in the um, prequels was very shiny and new and clean, but A New Hope, it's, yeah, it's more lived in and old and almost post-apocalyptic. Yeah, it's so glossy that it honestly does take me out of the film. Um, and this really, that area, and as congested as it is with all those people, really made me feel like, you know, oh, hey, there are people living here. There are inhabitants. This isn't just, well, like that person in the background isn't just there to make the scene look full these people are busy living their lives so um i love that scene i love that area i love them walking through the town i loved um you know k2so and everybody there and i 
I agree. I saw, once again, I saw a lot of little nods to the other film. There's an Imperial probe droid floating in the background. There's um, yeah. one of the droids that was with 3PO later in the Sandcrawler. There's just all these little nods that make it feel connected to the other movies. That's something I missed from Force Awakens. I felt like there was too much new stuff and not enough of a little bit of old, a little bit of new going on. I think what made this Yeah, scene... and Force Awakens was 30 years later, too, so... Right. But I, I see what you're talking about. And what made this scene so great for me is seeing uh, Baze and Imwe. Yes, Sherrod Imwe. Having their characters be introduced. You have a, a, a blind force-sensitive individual with a bow staff just laying waste to people like Itmon surrounded by 10 black belts. You got this guy with a big old machine gun just showing up and wasting everyone. And their kind of buddy relationship within the movie, like every time they were on screen, I just got happy. I'm like, yeah, these guys are back. Life is good. They're buddies. Mm -hmm. They're friends. I have friends. That's cool. Yeah. Not everything in this movie is depressing and mothers die. Well, and they're great <laughs> characters because in only a few seconds you can know what they're about. Okay, this guy's blind and he's a samurai monk warrior type character. This guy has a giant laser machine gun. He's built more like a bear. He's got the dreads going on. So very quickly they're able to identify themselves. And they're fun. And they're fun. Their bantering is absolutely wonderful. And I know you love Donnie. I love Donnie Yen because he was, uh, he played Ipmon um, mm-hmm. in the Ipmon film series. I think there's like five films. And um, he's uh, he's a great actor. He's a great performer. And he's, he's an amazing martial artist. And uh, and his skills really shine in in Rogue One. I, don't, I really don't feel like, I don't think there's been any martial artists in the star wars series i mean we've seen punches we've seen kicks but nothing you know incredibly choreographed as something donnie yin would do so it was just really really nice to see um you know his graceful performance uh come through and donnie yin was somebody like like his character was really somebody that can kind of ground the film Mm -hmm. you know um in this type of uh, in this type of war atmosphere, you know, it's always easy for you know emotions to flare up and things to happen, and obviously things are going to go wrong. But uh, his calm demeanor really, mm-hmm. really uh, just grounded the rest of the team. I feel, and uh, and definitely grounded his uh, friend. What was it, Baze Malbus? I forget. Yes, I don't even know if that right. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I am with the force, the force is with me, you know, just, just even that, it's just... His little mantra, yeah. That's all, I feel yeah, like that's yeah, going to be a hot mantra. topic t-shirt sometime in the future <laughs> of just him sitting there with that just written in a thousand times across. I've already seen a Bart Simpson meme where he's writing it on the chalkboard. Of course. But he he's dressed like Sheridan Way. So after all this stuff goes on, okay, we got our team together and they get captured and taken away. They so they're they're in Saw Gira's whatever you want to call it the insurgency the base. other rebels their base and um, Jen Erso gets to meet Saw again after all these years um, he's not he's the man hair. he once was he has hair he's got a <laughs> are you doing this or am I so he's got the respirator he's he's dying and in some ways he parallels Vader because he's less 
he's barely man now. He's more machine than man. So. And what's the important stuff that goes on here at the base? Um, you get exposition in the form of a hologram from Jin's dad. You also get to meet new character Bodhi, who is an a Imperial pilot who defected and helped to get us this message. USB drive. So. The first to leave. Yeah, I really space. felt like Bodhi was hugely, like, uh, immensely underused. Um, yeah. Like, his, char his character didn't really stand out to me. It wasn't a bad character, but... I feel like his character was basically there to to maybe, you know, fly him around a little bit and stuff, but, you know, his, his character was basically there to, to get us to the planet yeah. before, uh, get us to, to, you know, Jeddah before we had uh, Jen Urso get there. And I was even telling Fane the other day that Bodhi could have been replaced by a droid, and it probably would have accomplished the same thing. I mean, I appreciate what the actor did, but... He didn't really stand out or have as much personality as the other characters. He was just a minor character delivering product. <laughs> product. He was. He he was. <laughs> hey, I got you USB. He was a he was essentially a FedEx driver. Kind of, but he yeah. also yeah. Except he got kidnapped and you know. He's brave at the end. He runs that cable and runs through fire and all that stuff. So the whole reason the team is able to get out is that. Uh, while everything's going down, going on down on Earth, what's going up in Get space? It. So it's the first test of the Death Star. Krennic is talking to Grand Moff Tarkin, and they want to do a test. So they decide, well, let's kill two birds with one stone. Jet has been a problem. Let's go ahead and just wipe that off the map. And they destroy it with dubstep. No. <laughs> so we have the destruction. So these bad guys, they have a they have a functional Death Star. They have a weapon that mm -hmm. can destroy. It hasn't destroyed a planet yet. Okay, but it, it destroyed a city. A it city. destroyed a city really well. So it's well. the equivalent of a nuclear bomb at this moment. Oh, yeah, just that can fly around, and I didn't realize that it can, you know, just jump in space. That's how the Death Star gets around, Fane. Yeah, that's ridiculous, though. <laughs> we have our nuclear bomb, and we can just move it wherever we want in the universe whenever this we want This was established it. 40 years ago. Okay, it doesn't change the fact that this is ridiculous because the last time this is we Star saw, Wars. The last time we saw this was forty years ago when I was in my negative twenties. Negative twenties. Negative teens. Negative okay. teens. Negative teens. So, so we get this giant explosion, and they're like, "Well, we've got to get off the planet." So, where do they go? They go to the rain planet. Edu. They go to. They decide they don't have time to go back to Yavin, so they go after Gate. They go after Jen Urso's father, Galen, who is at the science facility on Edu, the rain planet. The rain planet. And not only are they there, but like the bad guys are there. Everyone's there. Credit shows up, yeah. And we're all in the rain. But here we get a few interesting scenes. We see uh, Captain Cassian make the choice of, okay, am I going to snipe Jen's dad or am I going to give her a chance to save him? Am I going to obey orders or am I going to not? We also see Jen um, finally get to meet her father, but it's a bit too late. He's already attacked by, sadly, not Imperials. He's attacked by bombs dropped from Rebel Y-Wings. Friendly fire. Friendly fire. So it's a bit of a mixed bag. It's probably saying some message about how war and friendly fire and hard choices. As a, uh, as a maker of film, Rudy, how did you feel about that reconnection? So, father and daughter are reconnected. Where were you at emotionally? How did you feel that came across as a filmmaker you are? 
I was looking forward to Jen and her father uh, getting back together at at some point. Mm-hmm. I think uh, for me, I, I didn't expect it to be on this planet. Um, I did. I did expect him to die pretty quick, just because you know that that's kind of the way things are. You see them; they 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 get together, and then tragedy happens. But um, I I thought it was kind of cool. I think um, whenever. I, I really thought he was going to die by Imperial forces. I didn't think he was going to get killed by friendly fire. But yeah. I think uh, whenever you're sitting there and you're watching Cassian aim at his head, because we saw Cassian kill earlier in the movie, mm-hmm. um, I really expected him to, to shoot him at one point. But um, but no, it was, <clears throat> it was good to see Jen and her dad reconnect. I liked it. Yeah, well, it's important to see Cassian as a good guy. Cassian had done a lot of things that are typically labeled with being a bad guy, such as shooting an injured human being. So we finally, we we get a moment in there where Cassian is human. Cassian had this dark cloud over him that Donnie Yen had seen. He's starting to come around and, okay, maybe I don't need to obey the orders. And this is personal, but at this point, like, so much sad stuff had happened. I just wanted, like... I, this is going to sound strange. I, I had so much sadness from like everything that happened. I kind of just wanted to see Darth Vader. Just, just show me Darth Vader. And Wouldn't you know, that be darker? I know that sounds crazy, right? <laughs> but guess what I get. So we get something that has only been hinted at in the extended universe canon, whatever legends, etc. We get to see Vader's castle, which is on Mustafar. It's kind of in a weird homage to where he was formed in the the lava when he was fighting Obi-Wan. So it's kind of that weird connection. And in there we see Krennic confront Vader and say, okay, I want you to help me get back control of the Death Star from Grand Moff Tarkin. You know I've been working on this this whole time. We're buddy-buddy. But what happens? <laughs> I'm going to go tattle to the teacher because I want my <laughs> giant space I gun. want my Death Star back. They took my Death Star, Rudy. I want it back. <laughs> Why won't you? Yeah, do- I thought that was, that was one of my favorite scenes because it just showed uh, Orson Krennic's uh, complexity. You know, he he uh, he wasn't able to go back and, and talk to uh, Tarkin. And even whenever he went to Vader, he he was screwed. Right. Oh, and it wouldn't be a Disney film without a quip. You need your quip. Don't choke on your ambitions. Ha ha ha, rim shot. I was expecting to be like some stormtrooper off to the side, hitting a rim shot as Vader delivered his line. I didn't really mind that. I mean, it's Darth Vader. If there's anybody that warrants like a quip like that, it's him. You have failed me for the last time, Admiral. Yeah, he has yeah. very, like, one-note, okay, punk, this is a line, yeah. Tony Stark does not deserve to make quips. Just <laughs> Darth Vader. Tony Stark built this with scraps in a cave. <laughs> so, we we get to this point where, okay, we know that there's a giant hyperspeed flying Death Star's planet thing flying around the it's universe. Called the Death Star. That can blow up stuff, Okay. And now the Rebellion knows that this giant, flying, super-fast weapon exists. And they're ready to, you know, stand as one and go fight it, right? Actually, no. They're kind of in turmoil. 
that's actually a scene I appreciate too because you see the rebellion. Not everybody wanted to go. Yeah, the alliance isn't quite as aligned as we thought they would be. Um, some of them are even like, we should just give up and join the Empire and just kind of lay low because we've lost. And some of them are like, no, we need to fight this thing that we've been building up to. Um, and even, this is when we they were, see... They were grumbling like they were grumbling like the Israelites. They wanted to go back <laughs> and become slaves. Bible reference. Um, but we even see Jen Erso like, come around. At the start of the movie, she didn't really want to be in the Rebellion. And now she's like, you know what? There is a chance here. My father didn't die in vain. There is a reason we need to go after this giant hyperspeed death trap thing and save the galaxy. Uh, Rudy, did this feel at all like a Katniss moment? Just, I'm just throwing that one out there. Like a Katniss moment? Hunger so, Games. Um, you well, have this yeah. strong female Katniss character is. who's capable um, of taking care of herself, and now, even though she doesn't want to... She's being called to lead um, You know, something. I never really felt like that. Oh, I think because Jenna Ursula's character never really felt like a one-note character. Are she you saying Katniss does? Bad, even from the beginning. <laughs> Definitely. And uh, her motivation and her, you know, her, her apprehension was understandable. Mm-hmm. I mean, she just literally held her dad in, her, in his, her arms while he died. You know, by the hands of the people that she was going to be working for, you know, mm-hmm. and and while that didn't come up, I, I could I could see why there would be, you know, confusion in her mind. Um, I uh, yeah, so I didn't really feel like it was too much of a Katniss moment personally. Yeah, she felt like Katniss to me. Yeah, Fane thinks it was a Katniss moment. Let me know in the comments below. <laughs> Give us comments, please. We haven't had comments yet. We're going to edit out that desperate cry for comments. No, we're not. Please do. <laughs> what we uh, what we go into is that, okay, we get enough people who are willing to go, go into this fight. We have a loose plan. We get the name of the movie because they need a call. Oh, yeah. Later. What are we? Oh, Rogue One. Rogue, Bodhi Rogue, gets to do Rogue his one. one thing. Yeah. Bodhi named the movie, so he's important. So shush your faces. So they're Rogue One, yeah. And this gets us into what I would have to say is the best part of the movie, Act 3. It, it's been kind of slow building, but once we get to Act 3, uh, it's All the toys fun. come it's, out. It's explosive. Everything's going on. You got a distraction going on. Just everything's going on in Act 3. So I just kind of want to open it up to everyone. Just what are your thoughts? What did you like? What were highlights? What were things that you were looking at? And you go... Wait, how did that happen? <laughs> well, if we're just talking about highlights right away, Darth Vader. Vader. No, no, Vader's at the very end of that. We'll get the no, Vader no, at the. We'll get to Vader. Vader. He's my highlight. We're talking about Scarif. We will get to Vader. Vader. We'll get to Vader. Vader is well used. So I like Vader. So <laughs> I was excited because we yeah finally get to Scarif, this beach planet that's been shown off in the trailers. Kind of a D-Day storming Normandy thing. Um, but it's also a heist because you have um, Jen and Cassian and uh, K2SO going in to get the plans while everybody else is fighting the bigger battle outside. And we even get something that we haven't really seen since Return of the Jedi, a giant space battle. The entire Rebellion fleet shows up. The Imperial fleet shows up. They're going at it. The Y-Wings, TIE Fighters, X-Wings, A-Wings, 
B-Wing, stop me at any moment. I could name every ship that was in there. There was a B-Wing? There was, yes. It was shaped like a B? Like it's a actually shaped more like a T. I don't know why it's called a B-Wing. It should be called a Mr. T-Wing. Uh, it's like a lowercase T, actually. And it should pity fools. I think one of the big things that stood out to me in this third act was the fact that um, there were just like Return of the Jedi, which was one of my, which is my favorite Star Wars film. Um, there were three separate battles going on at one time. You had the space battle, which was awesome and the best one we've seen in so long. And then you had uh, the guys on the beach, you know, defending the, themselves and had uh, Jen Erso and Cassian trying to get the Death Star plans. Um, and uh, Krennic, you know, running after them. You really had all three of these things going on at one time, and it's not. It doesn't just echo, you know, the, the end of the Return of the Jedi. Each and every single one of these battles is emotionally important, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and that's just not something that a lot of movies pull off with finesse. Um, much less uh, a movie that has some huge shoes to fill in in Star Wars. Um, and, and speaking in Star Wars terms. So I really feel like they've done a great job on this third act. And, and the biggest thing that stood out to me was Jin and Cassian, you know, trying to get those plans like... And K2SO. It was, it was like my, my like biting my nails just watching it. It almost felt like a Mission Impossible film, you know? Mm -hmm. We've got to climb this to tower climb up, and pull out this specific data and everything. Yeah. And it was great. I loved it. Yeah. There is one thing I do want to talk about this third act, which I loved. I love the stuff when they're acting as a distraction. Uh, Donnie Yen, Baz, Baz whatever Baz his name is. Him, yeah. They're running around doing stuff. There's explosions. There's chords. There's little AT-ATs, whatever those are called. Just great stuff. ATCTs, because they're cargo transports. Elemental Ps. There's a lot of great stuff going on. And we have to go get this physical drive right we have to get these physical plans of the death star mm -hmm. because we know if you've seen a new, new hope. hope it's a physical thing and they have to they literally have to climb to go get it uh k2so is doing some awesome stuff because he is just wasting stormtroopers in the most hilarious way possible so our leads are going after these physical copies and they're they're being chased down right we we get out there and you know they're they're grabbing these files and Cassian slips, so they're they're on this giant tower, right? Uh -huh. Cassian slips, falls and, down, hits and Rudy, a pole. I'm gonna need your thoughts on this too, because he hit some poles. I'm convinced he broke his back. The way he fell, I swear he broke. his I'm back. I'm arguing it's movie logic. People have fallen in other you can't movies. Argue movie logic. It's Star Wars. <laughs> That's not a good argument either. Unless he had the You're bothered by the fact that he shows up later, somehow climbs up and goes through the same spinny tube that Yeah, there's Jin this did. big old climb that Jin has to go through and she has to acrobat her way through this like closey metal trap of doom, get to the top so that she could trans be and communicate. My, might I remind you we have a blind man fighting stormtroopers. We have a blind man using My, that, the force. A blind man who is well versed in force combat. He's feeling fighting stormtroopers with a stick. My my. You're saying he's well versed in force combat. I would argue that he he's not a Jedi though. He's somebody who learned about the force from the outside. Yeah, he's so it's something Jedi. different we haven't seen yet. And I'm okay with well, someone. Well, didn't he say that he was like a guardian of like the wills or something? Yes, which is a reference to the original script for 
A New Hope, which had the Journal of the Wills in it. And guess who's not Force-sensitive? Yeah, Cassian, who's got a big old black cloud around him because he's about to go kill some people. Oh, that's the black cloud you were talking about. Yeah. You didn't know that? That's They make a point of it. I know. I missed... Wow, I missed your reference. Okay. So, the fact that once Jen gets up there, and she has to... By the way, whoever designed this giant satellite is an idiot. Because you have your main console right here, okay? But in order to move it, you got to walk 30 feet that way on a structure that's hanging over nothing to pull a lever. Why wouldn't you have that just right next to the console? It's Star Wars. <laughs> Not everything's designed well. Technically, the Millennium Falcon cockpit shouldn't be able to see to the right because that's where the whole ship is. So there's there's all kinds of weird stuff. Yeah, it's Star Wars. I'm okay. I'm willing to, to buy into it. But ultimately, though, they do get the plans out, right? Mm-hmm. And our whole crew survives, right? Because they're the good guys. They're going to survive. We've had a lot of sad moments along the way. All of our crew that we come to love or... But wait, Jeremy. They don't all survive. Well, who does survive? Mm, the Death Star plan survives. Does Donnie Yen survive? No. Machine Gun Guy? Bazimbus, no. Uh, the pilot? Bodie, no. Cassian? Mm, he survives falling only to climb up and hug Jen on the beach. Because they had to go down to the beach for some reason. They got down to the beach really quickly. There was an elevator. They basically went to the beach to die because they knew they were going to die. Did Jen survive? She was the lead, right? She's important. She's hugging him on the beach right as the nuke hits them. The Death Star once again fires on the planet and pretty much everyone there, whether they died because of the war or not, are dead. And even the Mon Calamari is like, Rogue One, wherever you are, I hope the Force is with you. The Mon Calamari is the other thing. Yeah, so, they, and I appreciated that because they actually stuck to their guns and killed everyone. This wasn't a typical Disney movie where things end on a good note, or even Alien where, like, Ripley survives, Jen could have survived. No, they cleared the deck. This is all out. And Well, yeah, I mean, this is a war, you know. Um a story there, there are say. casualties in war, and that's I think I think you're right. You know, they 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 didn't shy away from killing everybody, and I think that was the right choice. Important mm-hmm. people died in every act of this movie. There is a lot of death. Like when you really stop and think about it, a lot of people die. Mm-hmm. Saw and Galen Not also robot died girl. earlier. Yeah. It's strange enough, and we're at the end of the movie right now. We have. So the plans get beamed up to the ship, which then puts it into some kind of physical... Physical ship, which is a reference to A New Hope. Uh, Leia puts that physical ship into R2. So they're racing to get this chip somewhere safe. And why do they have to race, Rudy? Why are they having to rush to get um, this chip out? Because they're running away from Darth Vader. Darth Vader yeah. is in Darth Vader is killing all those grown-up younglings. <laughs> I think those are just called adults, Rudy. <laughs> they're they're grown-up younglings. The Hashtag younglings have grown, grown up, up and he's killing That's them. not all Vader does. <laughs> he kills younglings. But we do get to see Vader probably as awesome as he's been since Empire Strikes Back. 
He uses one hand to guide his lightsaber in his traditional style. He's chopping people up. He's force-pushing open doors. He's force-pushing people into the ceiling. Mm-hmm. He's not... He's not wasting any time. No. Darth Vader's got... Yeah, he's taking names. <laughs> and slicing people in half. <laughs> oh, no. He, he doesn't care about the names. He really doesn't. He's slicing people. He doesn't want people to choke on their ambitions, what he doesn't want them to do. He's but like grown youngling number one, grown youngling number two, big well, fat grown youngling. And we get to see uh, Vader's daughter, right? Well, and that's what I was about to get at. This movie didn't end on a dark note. Even though we talk about all of these terrible things that happened, yeah. we get a light moment. They get the plans to Princess Leia. And we know that the Rebel Blockade Runner, that red ship, is the one that opens at the beginning of A New Hope. Hope. So even if everybody's sad about all these other characters dying, we know something better is coming. And I appreciated that little bit of sunshine at the end. Why are people having so much problems with Leia? Like, I expected her to be in the movie. She has to get the plans. I was surprised. I thought, okay, they might put her in the movie, but they're probably just going to reference her off screen. They wouldn't actually, oh my gosh, they actually put her in. So I was surprised. Yeah. I, I was I was hoping that they would put her in. I figured they may just, like, you know, show, like, behind behind her head or something mm-hmm. like that. But uh, but then when the, the camera panned around and it was, you know, a, a very, very CGI uh, Carrie Fisher uh, face. Um, I was I was excited. I, I was glad. It, it made me happy. It really, really, it's the connected tissue to A New Hope. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things that, you know, whenever you have somebody, honestly, if, I, if I'm introducing Star Wars to somebody for the first time, I really want them to watch this movie because I feel like if they can't get behind this movie, they're That's probably not going to like Star Wars. Okay. Because you watch this and it leads into New Hope. But does it spoil A New Hope at all? Not really. Not at all. It, it, it builds it, everything. It's not like, so episode three spoils Empire Strikes Back because you see, okay, Padme gives birth to the twins. Luke, I am your father. So, but this doesn't, you're right. You could watch, yeah. you could start with Rogue One. We'll put Phil's recommended list. I, yeah, you, you, like I mean, you should order. start with yeah. Rogue One. I mean, because, yeah, we won't even get to the prequels. But, yeah, they, they, <laughs> they kind of do spoil just about everything that, all the surprises for, you know, the original trilogy. Um, this is the, Rogue One is the rare prequel that that does everything right um it establishes its own ground its own stamp on on the series but at the same time it it enhances the viewing experience of the original mm-hmm. and and that's something that that's not an easy thing to do no. um yeah so in in conclusion we've i know rudy you shared some more of your thoughts is there anything else you want to say conclusively about the movie about the experience I, uh, I enjoyed this film immensely. Again, this is one of those rare films that uh, actually enhanced the viewing of the, uh, of the original films um, as a prequel. Um, I, I really seriously do think that this Star Wars film is, is the one that you want to show somebody to see if they're going to like Star Wars. Hmm. And, um, and I'm, I, I can't wait to watch it again and, and you know, enjoy, it, enjoy it even more. Um, I, I enjoy this film more than all of the prequels. Um, I do enjoy this film more than Sports Awakens. Really? Um, yeah, yeah, I do. For, for me, like, 
And again, I've only had one viewing, so I want to see it a few more times. But as of right now, out of five stars, I give this four and a half stars. It's four and a half star movie. Okay. So, okay. Okay. So, um, so Phil, final thoughts that you have? Um, similar to Rudy, I was very happy with it. This one felt more like Star Wars, like it was part of the classic trilogy era of films than Force Awakens. Like I said, that had too many new things for me, but this one, like, the Stormtroopers look the same. The little details on the door, like, I could probably talk for hours about all the little details in the movie and how those were callbacks to that world and helped me feel if, like... If you want to talk with Phil more about... <laughs> if you want to talk with Phil more about Star Wars, please message him. He will talk with you forever. <laughs> he may skip work to talk with you about Star Wars. Maybe. Um, so I appreciated all of that respect for the details, respect for the world that was made by Lucas way back with the original trilogy. I appreciated the story, all of the characters I felt like worked on their own, except for Bodhi and a few of the Rebels, but um, I felt like this was a very strong addition to the films. I don't know if this is where I would... I don't know if I would show this as my first one. I, I appreciate your opinion, Rudy, but I think I would still start with A New Hope, and it, this is kind of like, if you want to know more, this is the one you watch later. Um, mm -hmm. but that might be because I'm seeing it now after seeing all of those films. But yeah. overall, I, yeah, I really enjoyed it and I appreciated what they pulled together and that the ending was so good that Act 3 really made the rest of the movie work for me. Absolutely. And this was a really good movie. I really enjoyed it, uh, particularly in, on, in Act 3. I liked Act 3 the most. Um, it, it was a little slow and choppy at the beginning, but once it got its feet, once it got moving, I really did enjoy it. And the use of side characters. I love K2SO. I love Donnie Yen. I love Machine Gun Guy. They were all <laughs> such great characters and brought breath to it. They Every time they were on the screen, I was just so happy to watch them. Um, and just their performance within and seeing Darth Vader just... Darth Vader and up everything. Uh, you brought up New Hope. I don't know why in this movie he was such a good fighter and that one he wasn't as good of a fighter, but hey, things go on. He got tired. He had a he long got, day. He, yeah. he wasn't able to get a recharging bath in between. Yeah, go back to the castle and recharge. He had to interrogate his daughter. Like, things happen. Mm-hmm. It Well, the behind-the-scenes story is that they didn't realize till Empire Strikes Back to make Vader as awesome as he was. So, if you watch A New Hope, he's not nearly as cool as he is in the rest of the movies. But he looks cool, and he has a great soundtrack. And he has those red lenses. I could talk about the details all day. Phil's going to do a 20-minute video on red lenses. <laughs> Rudy, we want to thank you so much for uh, joining us, and we appreciate your, uh, your thoughts and your insights. How can people uh, find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on YouTube, Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, all at Rudy Jalapeno. Rudy, H-O-L-L-A-P-E-N-A. -L -L -E and we're going to flash that on the screen for you. As always, I'm Phil. I'm Fane. Thanks for watching. We'll see you later. Dun -dun 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 -dun